Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. If you've listened to some of our past episodes, I'm so glad you're back. I really hope you guys are getting a lot out of these episodes. I put a lot of time and energy into them, but I'm also getting a lot out of it. Uh, It's fun to talk to our guests, and I love connecting with you, the listeners. If you have any questions or comments, I'm always happy to do my best to answer them. Shoot me a message on Facebook or an email. It's been fun to hear from a lot of you all over the country and all over the world, and certainly there's some of you I'm really looking forward to meeting one day in person. If you're getting something out of these episodes, do me a favor, share it with a friend who's an orthodontist, send it to your residency buddies, whatever you can do to spread the reach of this podcast, I'd really appreciate it. We've got a fantastic episode for you today. Dr. Cole Johnson is our guest, and he gave an amazing interview talking about his journey in orthodontics. We talk a little bit about how to connect with your patients, how to communicate better with your staff. I think you're going to really love it. Wherever you are, I hope you're having a great week. And if you're not, if you're struggling a little bit, know that there's a whole community of orthodontists out there going through the exact same thing, sharing the same challenges, and more than willing to help and provide advice. That's one thing I think that's so fantastic about a profession, and I encourage you to take full advantage of that. Before we jump into the episode, I have a thought of the week I'd like to share with you guys. And since this is my podcast, you get to listen to my ramblings. And this week, it's on what you can learn about orthodontics from skiing. My favorite hobby is downhill skiing, and I try to get out as much as possible every winter. Recently, I was stuck in my room at Jay Peak on a day where the temperatures plummeted to negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and the wind chill on the mountain was measured at negative 50 Fahrenheit. And I was wishing I could be outside, but I was warming up and my feet were aching and numb. And I wrote down three things that I think anyone can learn about being a good orthodontist from skiing. The first is that focus is powerful. In order to navigate a steep glade on skis, your focus has to be 100% on what you're doing. Planning your turns, avoiding trees, and having a blast while not killing yourself requires all of your concentration. Various experts have commented on the benefits of achieving this state of quote-unquote flow and have documented it among athletes, surfers, and even computer programmers. I find that on the days I'm completely present with what I'm doing in my orthodontic practice, I achieve a similar state of flow. I'm moving from one patient to the next, the systems are clicking, and it feels energizing at the end of the day instead of exhausting. Other days, due to stress, scheduling, staff, whatever, my focus is diluted, and sometimes I hit a tree, figuratively speaking. The second thing, and if you've ever tried skiing, you know this is true, people can be better than you and not work as hard at it as you are. When you first get out on the hill with your skis splayed all over the place like a baby giraffe, you will, without question, at the moment of your greatest frustration, watch helplessly as a few three-year-olds go flying past you like it's absolutely nothing. Or after you emerge from a mogul field exhausted and embarrassed, an expert zips by making it look like a walk in the park. This happens all the time on the mountain. In a similar fashion, you have orthodontic colleagues who are more proficient than you are. 
These doctors are more skilled clinically, or they're more efficient with their systems and can deliver care to more patients, or they're experts in dealing with people. It's not that they're doing something wrong or cutting corners or that what they're doing is unachievable by others. It is, however, true that these orthodontists are not working as hard as you are, and they are more successful. Which brings me to my third point. You can always learn something new. I'm an advanced skier, and there's almost nothing on the mountain I can't ski with confidence and rhythm. It's been several years since I had a lesson, but I took a three-hour private lesson a few months ago, and it was amazing. Besides cutting all the lift lines, my instructor pointed out several areas where I could improve. At my skill level, the tips were subtle, but man, they were impactful. Since the lesson, I focused on keeping my head more upright and not letting my arms get behind me on pole plants. I'm skiing with more confidence than ever and having more fun as my skills improve. In orthodontics, find a coach, a friend, a mentor, or an accountability partner. Be honest with yourself about what your weaknesses are. Too many doctors think that 10 or more years of school have taught them everything there is to know. As you learn, you'll have more fun and serve your patients at an even higher level. Thanks for listening. You can find these blog posts on our website, elevateorthopodcast.com. Dr. Cole Johnson was born and raised in Salem, Oregon, where he practices today. He attended Brigham Young University, Idaho, and received his dental training from Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Johnson completed his orthodontic residency at Virginia Commonwealth University and started his practice from scratch in 2012. He's married to his high school sweetheart, and they are the parents of seven children. His many musical sports and family exploits are vividly depicted on Facebook or Instagram, which I'll parenthetically add are a great example of social media done right. Dr. Johnson was a recent lecturer for both the doctor and staff sessions at the MKS Forum in Dallas and has been published in the Progressive Orthodontist magazine. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. How are you doing today? Doing so good. Thanks for having me, Lance. I'm looking forward to it. Great. I know we, uh, we were talking here. We've got a foot of snow on the ground. We've closed the office early. I think I spent most of my afternoon working on my NCAA bracket. Have you, uh, have you filled out yours? No, not yet. We have a very serious one going with me and my seven brothers. It's a big deal. So I put a lot of thought into it, which usually means I ask the youngest toddler that can talk in my house. That's been my best bet over the last few years. (laughs) (laughs) Who would you pick to win? Oh, I'm trying to figure out. It's hard not to go with Kentucky for me because I've been burned in the past. You're killing me here. We got, I got to, we got to go for Carolina here. That's what we're going for. Oh, I forgot about, I forgot about you yeah, so, um, good. Well, Cole, I want to start today by asking you a little bit about your decision to become an orthodontist. It seems like you've got so many interests. I'm wondering how you decided on teeth. Man, I was, I was probably, well, I know I was a huge disappointment to my dad who really, really, he's kind of a archetype hippie and he really wanted me to do something more interesting. And to me, to to cut my mullet and then put on a shirt and tie and start fixing teeth was tantamount to him to just selling my soul to the devil. Cause I'd always played music and, you know, I wanted to be a writer. Um, and your dudes like sketch comedy. Like there's so many different things on the creative side that my dad and my mom wanted me to do. And he grew up and he was like a bus driver and a janitor. So like I'd always look at him and be like, dad, it's very rich of you to think that you want me to do this stuff and and struggle like we struggled growing up. But he just didn't want me to be pigeonholed into 
what he thought was kind of a, you know, a stodgy profession. So I never actually really wanted to do it, but I did know that I wanted to provide for my family. And it was my wife who convinced me as I was doing pretty well in college, she thought, she thought, you know, I know you want to be like a high school teacher and coach or, you know, maybe move somewhere where you can try your hand at being a writer. And, but she's like, you know, I know you really want a big family and I know it was tough for you guys to grow up and struggle like you did. And I think one day she just goes, didn't you have a orthodontist who you really liked that you grew up with that guy? And I was like, Oh yeah. And I thought, Oh, I could work with like the same demographic of kids and as I would as a high school teacher. And I just kind of talked myself into it. And the further I went along, I, you know, it's no guarantee when you go to dental school that you're going to be an orthodontist, but ended up doing okay and getting good grades and getting good test scores and getting a shot at, at VCU. And so very proud of where I've come from, but I've never, like my dad to this day, he's like, so orthodontist, huh? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And so, but, uh, so that but, guy. yeah, but my way of like kind of in homage to my, to my parents who were just, they're just free thinkers and I've tried to do things my own way. So at least I can get the nod from them and say, Hey, Cole, I know you're an orthodontist, but at least you're, you're a little more untucked than your garden variety dentite. So it seems like you're able to express some of that creative side through your marketing and whatever other initiative you have going on in your office. I mean, I think that shows through whether, you know, it's exactly the mold that you set out to, to achieve. I think it's, I think you've meshed the two very nicely. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is on purpose, but there's certainly a certain percentage that I is a need, and it's very hard for me to be so structured. I actually, the creative side of me, I need to do stuff like that, or I will go crazy. So I have to call a timeout and make a stupid YouTube video occasionally, just so I get back to my zen. And for some people, that's totally outside their zen. But for me, it's like, okay, that's where I actually feel more comfortable. It took me a while to feel comfortable as you know the guy who's actually treating patients so it's been interesting for me but i've loved it i've totally loved it it's been such a good profession to me i've made wonderful friends and i'm trying really hard to be a good orthodontist and not just be known as the guy who's got the quirky little practice and stuff so and always getting better at the different things that i'm not naturally talented at that's actually the fun part for me yeah i agree so you graduated from your residency program at VCU, and you jumped right into practice ownership. How did you have the confidence that it would work out, and are you glad you started from scratch? Tell me about that decision. How did I have the confidence? Man, that is the great question. Why, why are all of us so arrogant? And, <laughs> and me for different reasons. But honestly, a lot of it was just naivete. I didn't really understand what it took to run a business. I had no background like most people, but I hadn't really spent much time in an office, but I kind of had this kind of misplaced arrogance that I thought, I, I think that I have a lot of good things going for me as far as my ability to speak with people. I'm a good communicator. I'm not a risky person at all, but I am with myself. I won't bet on anything except for myself. And I think if I knew now what I knew then, I would probably be more scared, but because I didn't know anything about it, I didn't know what a what a tough road it would be. So, but I did know this, Lance. I did not want to work for somebody, and that was super important to me. I knew that I would probably love having a colleague, an associate, or 
but they might not like me. I know that I would be a very, very hard employee to have. I'd be a hard person to work with. So I needed to kind of have my reins on the practice instead of the practice having its reins on me. They had a very distinct way that I wanted to do things. So it was as much to make sure it was enjoyable for me as it was to make sure that I didn't annoy anyone else, that I decided to go out on my own. And really a lot of the associateships that I had um, considered, by the time I got out of school, it was at such a tough time, you know, back in 2010-11, that a lot of the doctors who had previously mentioned that they might consider having me come in, they had kind of pulled back and said, no, our 401k is tanked, we can't do this, or... You know, you know, there were those years that were a little sure. bit lean for a lot of areas. And so in retrospect, that was a little bit of an advantage because, you know, the lease spaces were lower, lower priced. And there was a, a lot of the cities had been overbuilt and there was um, vacancies and that kind of thing. So from that standpoint, there was, there was some good and bad. But um, as I struck out on my own and, you know, if you start from the bottom rung, you can really only move up. So there, that actually I see as an advantage now. Yeah. I'm curious what an average day looks like for you? Do you have a kind of a set routine or do you have like a morning routine that you do or are you kind of all over the place? What, what yeah. does an average day for Cole Johnson look like? So an average day, let's see, I usually get up around five o'clock, 5.30 and I usually go to the gym, but instead of working out, I usually rehab from my latest injury, <laughs> which I mean, that is not an exaggeration at all. If I feel healthy, it just means that I feel healthy enough to go out there and get injured again. But I've always had, you know, tons of knee surgeries and from playing basketball and football. And um, But I'll go to the gym, come back, and on my way out the door, after I get ready, just pour my kids some golden grams and kiss them on the head. And then I, I'm usually the first one to the office. For some reason, psychologically, I like to be the first one here. So when people come in, and part of the reason I do that is I know some of the people that I work with, they have a hard time not bringing their drama from home to work. And so immediately when they come into the door, I make a conscious effort to be like, hey, how's it going? You know, make sure it's their first interaction of the morning is upbeat because a lot of people don't even talk to anyone. The first person they see at work will be the first person they talk to. So try to set the tone that way. And then we've been seeing like 90 to 110 patients a day. And I just am tired at the end of the day. I feel like, I feel like, probably like you at the end of busy days it's like you've gone to a wedding reception i mean you had fun it was good (laughs) but you just don't want to go to a wedding reception again because you're sick of smiling you're sick of talking to people and stuff so it's tiresome in that way and not to sound ungrateful but being kind and being fun and being motivated and being engaged with people is work and as as much as my buddies who are electricians and um you know, construction workers, no matter how laborious your job is physically, there's something to be said for how much or doctor to staff, um, doctor to patient engagement costs you in terms of energy. So what I do after my day's over, I will routinely drive home as slow as I possibly can, <laughs> park in my driveway and sit there for like 10 minutes before I have to enter a house full of eight more people and be the fun dad. And I'll like listen to Harry Potter or I'll listen to ESPN or whatever my audio book de jour is. And then I do things that dads do and play with my kids, take my kids to practice, coach some teams. And then 
try to get the energy to do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. I love what you say. And I, and I like hearing from you that, you know, all of this engagement with your staff, with your patients, I mean, that does require energy. I mean, it does require a conscious decision every day. Yeah. And I, and I feel for people who engaging people is not natural for them because as much as I love and admire and respect their way, I can see how we admire each other because some people think, man, I wish I could totally naturally you know, talk with people and joke around and be friendly like you can. And But at the end of the day, we can look at each other, give each other a nod and know that no matter how you went through your day, we are all trying hard to make sure people feel important. And it's work. It's work. Yeah. Here's a question I have for you. Uh, your practice, I would say, by all outside accounts, seems to be very successful. But I'm curious how you would define success in your practice. What what to you feels like you've had a successful day? Um, honestly, from the from the business side, I measure it just like everyone else. Did we start treatment on patients? Okay. So from that point of view, if we have a day where we have seven bondings or three bondings, or that's kind of from the business side, but as you enter that type of success and that becomes the norm, you start to measure it in different ways. And I can see the transition from a new doc in the first few years where your mood depends on how many starts you get that day to, you know, the young doc who is doing okay financially and you're, you start to judge your day by how few problems you have, like how, how many snafus you have or how few. So, I'm in that transition right now where things are going well enough where I know we'll be on pace every year to get, you know, five, six hundred starts. And it's not, that's not a big deal to me. It's more, can I get through my day with the least amount of side distractions or conversations with angry people or upset staff? And it, and it seems weird to judge your success that way. But for me, anything that can take away from my s- stress makes me a happier person, makes me easier to deal with at home. And that that's really what I really would like. And once you get to a certain point where you feel like you're financially taken care of, it ends up being other little things that make it more enjoyable. So it's yeah. it's not it's not it's nice to enjoy that part of it, but at the end of the day, like so many of the colleagues that we work with and we communicate with, Lance, everyone's trying to get better. And so you just start chasing the next white rabbit after you've devoured the first cuddly one. There's the they get, and they get and they get faster and faster the white rabbits and but it's still fun to chase them. I mean, yeah. Just, and then yeah. for me, that's what I like. I think maybe more than anything. I mean, I, I I like the business success. I certainly like moving teeth and seeing smiles. But I really like this that there's always a new challenge, right? And there's always something you can accomplish. And for me, taking an idea that exists in my mind and making it happen, you know, whether that's, you know, do you want to start a Smile for Lifetime chapter or a unicorn adoption program or do you want right. to put a soft serve ice cream right. machine in your office? Like I run an SAT prep course that's going on right now. Oh, very or, cool. I'm, or, or I'm starting a podcast, you know, all these things. I, I, I just love that. And one thing, you know, that I'm hoping our listeners develop a little bit more is that muscle to kind of set these bold, audacious, maybe even weird goals, and then take them and move them from just an idea in your mind into something that's actually in reality. And to me, that's, I get a big kick out of that. And that is part of what drives me. Oh, exactly. And I think that we, as a profession, we would all sit in a big room together and agree that one of the things that we're most proud of as orthodontists is that we're actually very well-rounded. 
there's a lot of representation from a, a lot of different, not just demographics, but a lot of different areas of talent, a lot of different areas of expertise, and we don't want to be the same. I think there's this notion from someone who's running a little scared and like, I don't, I think I need to be unique, but I want to be unique like everyone else. That just doesn't make any sense. That's tantamount to, you know, every single girl from Salem, Oregon that gets the same piercing at the same time because they want to be unique just like all their friends. It makes no sense. So as orthodontists, we like, I love that you do this because I don't really have to do it, but I think it's a great idea. And not everyone needs to make zany YouTube videos and not everyone needs to be an expert, but we can all benefit from each other doing different things. But as a, as a profession, being well-rounded is something that I'm the most proud of when I can yeah. show my friends, Hey, or my assistants or my family, this is a friend of mine. He's an orthodontist. Check this out. He yeah. does this. I love that. Uh, let's switch gears here a little bit, Cole. You wrote an article in the Progressive Orthodontist called The Law of Like. And I'm curious what inspired you to write this article. Where did this come from? You know, a lot of people ask kind of where my lectures come from. Not because, I think most of people ask it because they're a little bit cynical of the ideas and they, they either think it's something regurgitated from a book or they think it's complete crap. And that, <laughs> not, neither of those bug me. But I will tell you, I really... I'm a student of people. I love trying to look at a situation and not in a manipulative way. I like to see how can I get my way and they're still happy about it. How can I tell this person to go to hell and have them be excited for the trip? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when I started looking at what makes somebody likable, what makes someone trustworthy, it all came down to this. People basically reciprocate how they're treated, even if they don't mean to. I mean, everyone's been deflated that one time where you wanted to get pissed and someone just apologized over the top and you automatically deflate your anger because you don't want to look like a jerk. But good feelings happens the same way. I started to realize that the people that I liked the most, had it had nothing to do with how likable I was with them or how charming I was, or how funny. It had 100% to do with how much they liked me. So when I wrote down my list of my favorite cousins, my favorite patients, it was actually the people who had paid the most attention to me, the people who had liked me the most. And I realized, oh my gosh, you mean I could just like somebody, like the verb, and I could spend time with them. I can say nice things to them, make them feel comfortable. I can do that liking to them. I, and it turns out it's true. They reciprocate those feelings. They like me back. If you really want people to like you, you better prepare yourself to do some liking. <laughs> and that is that if you looked in your life, like who are the most likable people, you know, they're just people that go around and they're really good at just liking other people. They're upbeat and, you know, sometimes they're more quiet. But the one thing they have in common is they're not afraid to say stuff like, hey, I love when you come over or I love having you as a patient. They're not afraid to just say something that, you know, makes somebody feel good. Yeah, that difference, I think, between you, you point out in your article, liking the feeling and liking the verb is pretty powerful. Uh, and I think that it's hard sometimes for us to want to get up for that all the time. Yeah, and I, I think if someone was on the edge and they're like, you know, I... I, I like my patients, I, but I don't feel like they, they don't show this like 
loyalty to me like I would like. Like, why, can't, why don't they post about me on Facebook? Why don't they get excited and want to take a selfie with me? Or why, don't I, why is it harder for me to get reviews? And I would just say to them, well, it's trust, loyalty, longing, and liking are never one-sided. One of the easiest things you can do is, hey, do you have a business? Do you, let me write you a review. I know how helpful that is for me. And I guarantee you, if you wrote them a review, the next course of action that is so natural is then like, hey, well, can I write a review for you? Like this kind of stuff is so, it's so back and forth and there's such a, a hidden quid pro quo that you shouldn't feel greasy about, you shouldn't feel bad about. And just know that if I see something I like about you, it's it, whether it's your shoes or how well your kids behave or how you're on time for your appointments, you're going to hear about it. And automatically that person's going to think, Cole's such a nice guy. It's, I just, cause I liked them. It's the equivalent of like walking over to them and clicking on a like button to their face. Cause even, and you got to realize we live in a world that is going to be run by millennials in a few years. These millennials, they live and die by the like. They will literally sit there and talk amongst themselves, say, oh, my gosh, I post that picture. I don't know why. It only got like 25 likes, but like so-and-so posted it. Like, got, did, like they, they quantify it in a very discreet fashion that we never did. For us, it, liking was much more ethereal, but they have numbers behind it. They know how many friends and followers they have. They know how many likes they get. But you and I, when we grew up, Lance, I couldn't tell you how many were my friends and how many weren't. I just assumed yeah. that everyone, everyone liked me because when I walked around in the group, the people that were surrounded me, the people I cheered with at the game, they happened to like me. So I assumed that everyone did. But these millennials, they have very, they hang their hat on these numbers and everything. Yeah, popularity analytics sounds kind of terrifying. Yeah. But guess what? If you like their stuff on Instagram or you like their stuff on Facebook page or you comment on it, you can expect that they will do it back. That is just how they work. That is how they work. Right, right. Okay, here's the situation I find myself in sometimes. Most of the time I feel like I'm, I'm in the zone, I'm, I'm liking my patients, uh, and, and I think luckily we've got great patients, so I actually have the feeling of liking them as well as, as, as trying to do the verb thing. But, but sometimes I'm stumped. I sit down, I try to engage with a patient, small talk or banter, and it's just like brick wall. What tips do you have for me, and I guess for, for our listeners, how do, how do I break through that and, and make that connection with the patient? Do you have any, any oh, hints there? Yeah. Oh, yes, and don't, and don't think for one second that that does not happen. Oh, it happens to me all the time. But I always have my go-to. My go-to thing is being gracious or, 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 or showing gratitude for something. Because you sometimes cannot get someone to reciprocate back, even in conversation form, anything you're saying. Banter is, I mean, the banter meter is just zero. Yeah, nothing. So, so but you can always say, hey, thank you so much for always being on time for appointment. Thank you so much for like listening or like you can say thank you for something or you say thanks so much for coming in today actually like i really like when you come in you always calm me down like people who even kids you know those kids that don't require much attention because they don't give much attention they're mm -hmm. not bouncing off the wall. they're not your favorite because they don't really bring any energy to the office or the parents that are just kind of sitting there yeah so I, you can always go over and say hey ron thanks so much for bringing Sabrina in every appointment. I know you have other important things to do, but she, I mean, it's, it's important for us that she comes in and I just, I like when, when dad takes the onus upon him to bring his kids for an appointment. I know how busy you guys are. 
like that kind of stuff is probably the best way to just because it doesn't require any response back from them. It's just right. you're just you're just being, and it's not a compliment per se. You're actually it's not a compliment, them. right? And it's and some people don't take compliments very well, and they think it's creepy. So your go-to should be you have some things that you can sincerely say thank you for, and a lot of times it is, you know, teenage boys and dads that you don't want to go up and be like, dude, I love those jeans. Turn around. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, buckle, right? No, no, no. They don't want to hear that. They're like, hey, dad, thanks for all you do. I know you work hard. We're going to make sure she has a good result. I know that you have other things you could spend your time, money, and effort on, but Sabrina's going to turn out amazing thanks to you. And you do that enough, and he doesn't really need to respond, but I know that it works because, you know, mom will come in, and I've gotten enough of this. You know what? Ron does not usually, but he was asking, he just said, he thought you were just such a nice guy. <laughs> it's, it's being brave, but I know that it can be intimidating sometimes when you don't have any back and forth with a the person. Then you can just make something up, and it's usually in the form of a sincere remark of gratitude as opposed to like a creepy comment. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about that way, and I think that's fantastic advice. I want to take a few minutes, actually, to talk about your lecture you gave at MKS, the, the lecture you gave to doctors on communicating with staff. And yes. Uh, we, we, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-interview. Many people, I think, look at what you're doing and they think, oh, this is fine for Cole. He can do whatever he wants and just kind of wink and smile. But I really think people are missing the boat here. It seems to me that you've put some real time and energy into working on these skills. And, and you mentioned that you're kind of a student of, of people and, and these interactions. Uh, and I guess my question here is, can people improve? Do you think people can learn to be better at these things? I mean, obviously the answer is yes, but I do understand some of the, some of the blowback that you get from people. So it's just not my personality, but everyone can learn to be better in this way. And I get the feeling that some people just don't want to. They would much rather kind of sit back and be brooders and decide that they don't really feel the need to communicate any better with their staff and stuff and actually that that doesn't bug me because there's some stuff in my life where I'm kind of lazy about and I know I should get better at this and that but if somebody does decide that they want to get better and they believe me when I say that you can I mean there are some ways you can start and kind of what we talked about at the MKS meeting is you just start by being deciding you're going to give people feedback and you're going to quit thinking bad things in your mind or even quit thinking good things in your mind without saying them. If you just started with step one and said, you know what, today, if I don't like something, I'm going to say it. And then you follow the other principles. It's going to be immediate. Like I'm going to say, hey, Brittany, when you do that, it's so frustrating to me. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Or say, Brittany, when you do that, it actually is so helpful. You'll find that it's actually, it's kind of oddly satisfying. Like popping a blackhead when you're a teenager. You know, you just... <laughs> It, it seems like it's going to hurt, but you like it. It's actually it's good. And then you get even more brave and then you make it more specific. I go, Brittany, when you do this, it makes my life super hard and it gets frustrated. And I hate sitting there thinking that I'm frustrated with you. So I wanted to tell you this, okay? No big deal, but just know that. Or Brittany, when you do this, it makes my life so much easier. I love when you do that. Can you just do that every single time? Like you'll just get better at it and better at it. So to answer your question, yes, you can get better. But don't feel bad if you're not ready to just start jumping on the train and trying to make every interaction golden because it, it's a step-by-step -step process and 
just start start working at one skill at a time and it's a skill just like everything else some people think oh i can't get better in Invisalign, or i can't get better at um looking at cefs and trying to predict surgical outcomes but of course you can't unless you try i've not met someone who i didn't think was very very smart even brilliant in our profession and i think that if we put our time and effort and thoughtfulness into any skill yes even human interaction skill there's not one of us that couldn't be better. Right. And such a big part of the staff management, and you, you've said the most important part, is this giving good feedback. And can we go through these steps for a minute as like you presented them in MKS? This, you use this uh, mnemonic of FISH, F-I-S-C-H. Yeah. Uh, you said you, said you got to give feedback and you said don't be lazy. Um, what do you mean by, by that? How do, you, how do you have to engage with feedback? Well, your prototypical feedback in ortho office is, there's a problem. You sit in your office like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. Like, ugh. You go home, you talk to your wife or you talk to your husband, you talk to your friends, you, you post on, on Orthodontic Exchange or one of the many forums that exist out there and you say, oh man, this is a problem. But my question is always is, what, have, you, have you confronted them yet? And if, if you waited a few weeks, how awkward is it to say, hey, you see them at the next staff meeting and say, hey guys, this is a problem. It's been a problem. We need to work on this. Staff members hate that. They hate that. Oh, so they're, they're, their first thing like, okay, so why are you bringing this up now? You guys, you just bought a subway. We're having a staff meeting. Why would you throw this in our face right now? What they like so much more is, I'll be honest, they know that you've been sitting in your office brooding for a month or a few weeks, even for a few days. If something happened a few days ago and you confront them, Here's what they think. Oh, how embarrassing. I bet he's been thinking about this since Tuesday when it happened. I bet his wife knows. I bet everyone else in the office knows. And it's finally bad enough where he's coming to talk to me. Right. So you say that feedback has to be immediate and it has to be specific. Or why are those things important? Well, you, it's the type of people that we're dealing with. Usually females, obviously, but even many males and even there's elements of myself in this. If someone comes up to a young female and says, you know, you don't look very good today, and they walk off, that's one thing. But if you walk over and you say, you have something on your eye right there, let me get it. Okay, got it. That's not, it, it may be embarrassing for a second, but she's over it. But you walking over immediately, say, Brittany, when you do that, you have to know that it's so frustrating for everyone else because that happened and that happened. You cannot do that anymore, okay? It'll sting for a second. Just like when you walk over and say, Brittany, you got something on your, have a booger. <laughs> like she will be embarrassed, but she will move on a lot quicker than if you just give her vague, like, hmm, like a look, like maybe she's not cutting it. Right. You got you to gotta realize that they much prefer just be flicked in the ear and told them exactly what you don't like rather than knowing that, oh my gosh, I've, how, how come you didn't tell me about this booger? I've had it for this long and why don't you just say something? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So feedback, we want it to be immediate and we want it to be specific. And then I think your next point was, which I thought was brilliant, was explaining the consequences, which I, I had never thought to include before I heard your lecture. But what's that all about and, and how does that help someone understand where you're coming from? Well, I noticed that sometimes you give feedback and even if it's immediate and specific, sometimes you kind of get this little eye roll like, okay, you are just kind of being a naggy little turd. When actually you don't mean to be, but you once you get to the level where you feel comfortable giving them immediate and specific feedback, you should tell them why. You should say, hey, look, I don't want you to say that on the phone. I don't want you to ask 
if they have insurance. That can be embarrassing. I would much rather you say, is there any insurance we can check on for you? The reason why you want to be a little more, say it like that, Brittany, is because you don't want them to feel bad if they don't have it. And it just, it sounds better. If you do that, I promise you'll get a much better response. Like you just explain the reasons why you do something. Or I love that you did that because do you know how much more likely that person is to refer their friends after you did that? Or you just give them the little, even if they do something wrong, it's not, hey, you cannot say that to a patient. That's not good. You got to say, when you say that to a patient, it makes them feel this. They're much less likely to come in. Like just taking a second to explain the consequences of what they do. I think that we think that they already know, but you've got to understand that nobody thinks about your practice. Nobody thinks about patient interaction more than you do as the doctor. So take pains to make sure that they know, because if I tell you ABC, you know that D is coming, but a lot of, not to slight the mental aptitude of the people we work with, but they only work $18 an hour hard. I sh we should never expect them to care as much as we do. Like that, that's silly. Like if you think your team is going to go rah, rah, just because you pay them $18 an hour or $25 an hour, like you would work that hard if that's what you were getting paid. You have to give them more. You have to say, Hey, this, this, this. And remember, so A, B, C, D, and guess what? D is coming. You might see E too. You don't think that you're dumbing it down by explaining exactly why you do things. Okay. Right. I've been doing that, uh, and it's been effective since uh, the lecture in Dallas. And I do find that, it, I don't think it's, like you say, it's certainly not a level of intelligence, but it's just a different, you know, we've got this 30,000-foot view of our practice sometimes, and they're working on a, on a certain task. And I think sometimes expanding that view and showing, look, here's the ramifications of your action, good or bad, uh, I think is really useful and, and not something that's going through their head on a continual basis. Right, and, and, then, and then always closing, once you tell them what the consequence is, always equate consequences with culture. Like, and we do that at this practice because of this. Our practice does this because of this. Then they start to realize, oh, so there's like, in our practice, they call it the JFOA. Like, oh, I get it, that's just the JFOA. I'm like, yeah, it is. I mean, you can tease me about it, but we do all these things because it either fits with our mission statement or it doesn't. So I just say, hey, and that's why it's the JFOA. We don't, we don't, it makes sense to do it the way that you did it, However, it doesn't fit with our culture. We, ha we must do it this way. Okay? Right. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. So, so you've given feedback. It's immediate. It's specific. You've explained the consequences. And then your last one here was holding someone to a future standard, which really seems to be the coup de grace here of uh, how, right. how, how do you do that? Now, this was the last thing to come. I, after you talk to people a, a few times about something, I'm about why do some people follow through? Like I've talked about this with Brittany three hundred times. But the second I figured out to say at the end of these interactions, if it's a good interaction and I want her to keep doing it, it's like, Brittany, every single time, that's what I want you to do. That is expected from here on out. I love that you do it. Keep doing it every single time. I'm going to be watching. All of a sudden she's like, okay, not only did I do a good job, like I am expected to do this every time. It wasn't just a, hey, that was a, you want them to know, Lance, that it wasn't just an above and beyond that you did such a good job placing those brackets. This is a, every single time, Brittany, freaking put those brackets on that way, that good way that you did it. Yeah. Or if I come over and say, hey, you put the premolars on upside down. That is very frustrating to me. I don't have that much time and I have to take them all off and then re you cannot do that. I don't want to see upside down premolars again, okay? Not ever. You double check those. 
Okay? Every time. Okay. But they're used to it. They don't think like I'm being anal. They just know that that's, it's over, pat on the back, done. But they have to be told, hey, you can't ever do that again. You can't say that to a patient again. I'm not going to allow it. Right. You're, you're only allowed to do it at another office, okay? You're only allowed to. <laughs> and, that's, and that's, I mean, you, you laugh, but that is a line that I use all the time. Like, listen, I know it's tough. You are allowed to do it, but it has to be at another office. It can't be here. Yeah, that certainly frames things. I just think it's such a great rubric. It goes through my head. I've been using it in the last couple of months when I see something I need to address. I try to get in there, be immediate, be specific, uh, you know, explain consequences. And if I can get to this, hold them into a standard, uh, then I really feel like I'm hitting a home run. But uh, it, it does work. And what I love is that it's taking this somewhat intangible uh, skill of communicating and breaking it down into something, someone for me who's maybe a little bit more analytical can wrap my head around. It's something that you just can, you can practice, you can work on. And, and, and I, I, that was my favorite lecture, uh, in Dallas. Uh, I thought you did a great job. Oh, good. That, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. It seems to me that you really enjoyed, uh, teaching and, and sharing. And I'm curious what other new ideas are bouncing around in your head that you haven't let out yet, but you want to, share with orthodontists? I know you're always working on something. Is there anything you've got uh, brewing? Um, I always have a ton of stuff brewing, but like, like everyone, the ultimate commodity is, is time. And I wish I just had more of it. I mean, I have ideas ranging from opening a food cart to opening a hygiene clinic. I would like to eventually help people out with their marketing more. I'm not really actually that digitally digitally savvy, but I think I can break down what works on social media and what doesn't. And some of the like some of the gurus out there who claim to help you with your social media, when they are calling me to ask how to get 800 likes on a non-boosted post, to me it's like, well, something that I do naturally, maybe I do have something to offer. And I know I'm not, I'm not really one of the experts out there as far as how social media works and all the different metrics and how to do this and that. But when it comes to content and what people like, it's along that same line that I, I pride myself of really trying to be in tune with what people appreciate, what they like, what they want to get behind, how to create loyalty. So I've been trying to work on something like that. And I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition, but at least a lecture on how people can figure out what their strengths are and how to advertise themselves because branding yourself is really is really hard for some people they they either make the mistake of thinking that they're not unique enough or they make the mistake of thinking that they have this unique thing that people want to hear about and people are wrong all the time in this regard like i i see stuff and i'm like man nobody nobody cares about that only you care about that and on the other hand people kind of keep in the shadows some things about themselves. And I think, man, people would love that about you if you were more willing to share. So I hope I can make other people a little braver about what to share and makes other people not so brash about what they share. And I think that there's a, there's a way that I have to quantify it to make sure that it's helpful for people. But that's kind of my next frontier that I want to tackle. That sounds great. Is there any other message that you want to put out there or any 
thought that you think uh, orthodontists need to hear as they're, you know, maybe listening to this on the way to work or on the way home? Is there anything that, that you would want to tell them that you think would be useful to them or, or get them charged up? Oh, that is such a great question. You know, learning to love people who are nothing like you is kind of the hallmark of being a great human being. Learning to love people who don't even think like you may think the opposite of you. That's kind of what makes you a very, very good human being. And I love that we have such a good microcosm of the world within orthodontics. And like I mentioned before, there's such a, a wide array of demographics and talents within us. But I hope that there's one thread that people, whenever they, people think about their orthodontist or orthodontist in general, I hope they think that we are kind and generous. I hope that as a whole, that we can really try to weed out people who are, this, this comes from all the way from dental school to residency, that like weed out people who are in it just for the money. Obviously, it is great money. There's not, there's not a ton of orthodontics struggling. We're all struggling mightily with many different things, but not really financially. I hope that when people think of orthodontists, they think of a very kind and generous and giving group that would make me the most proud so whatever we can do <laughs> that sounds so that still sounds no. so so airy and ethereal but like let's let's embrace how different we are and be so good at disagreeing with with each other in a friendly way but also make sure that we have that one thing in common as unique as we want to be but the one thing in common that we are generous and loving people and that that will make us that's how the profession is going to last. I think yeah. it's it's not about a, a clear liner. It's not about, not about um, you know managed care orthodontics. It's not about um, Smile Care Club. I, the the true the true test of time orthodontics will be individuals who make it appealing to become orthodontists and to see orthodontists. That is that's how we're going to survive. Yeah, that's a great closing thought, Cole. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like I've learned so much from your lectures and your example and from this interview. Thanks again for being here. Oh, I love this idea. You, you're doing such a great job, Lance. I totally appreciate the opportunity. All right. Have a great night, Cole. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. You too. Hey, guys. I want to give a big thanks to Cole for being on the show today. I hope you were jotting down some notes. I know I was as he shared some of that information with us. I've got a great episode lined up for next week. We've got Dr. Jim Dolly, the white coat investor. And I think you're going to really get a lot out of uh, his financial advice. If you haven't had a chance to check out his website, do so, whitecoatinvestor.com. Also, if you want to connect with us on Facebook, we've got our Elevate Orthodontics podcast group, and we've already had a couple interesting discussions there. If you're an orthodontist or orthodontic resident and you'd like to join, just go on there and request to join. I've been pretty busy this week recording a lot of episodes, trying to get a few weeks ahead, so I'm not right up against the deadline. So I'm excited for some of the guests we have coming up. If you've got suggestions for me, I would love to have them. If you think this is someone who we really should have on the show who would be interesting or have a unique perspective, or if you yourself want to be on the show, uh, shoot me an email. I'm always looking for guests and trying to bring you guys the best stuff out there. Have a great week. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.